0: Hey folks, fun one for you today. I sat down with Ryan Clary, new host of Locked On Nationals. We went over the return for the Juan Soto trade. How are those players doing after half a season in the Nationals organization? We talked about the Nationals having the number two overall pick and some of the position player or pitcher options they would have there. And then that turned into a larger conversation about Mike Rizzo's drafting and the lack of return on first round picks that the nationals have gotten recently and maybe why that is fun conversation let's talk about you are locked on mlb prospects part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
1: And thank you for making Locked On Nationals your first listen. Every day, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Clary, and I have taken my Nationals fandom into a podcast here. And I enjoy putting out content for your team every single day with the Locked On Podcast Network. And now, let me bring in one of my co-workers, Lindsey Crosby from Locked On MLB
0: Prospects. Lindsay, how are we doing today, man? Uh, things are great. Uh, the Rule 5 drafts, always a fun time for me. Of the course. draft lottery, that was new. That was fun. It and was. so
1: tons of stuff to talk about here. Uh, I was not happy to land that number 2 overall pick, but that's something we're going to get into later in the show.
0: It could be worse. The A's were in that same boat yeah. you were as far as the same odds, and they're picking 6th. So it, it could know. be worse. It could it be could worse. It could be. It really could be, but... You know, this in this area, everyone
1: wants to talk about that Juan Soto trade, especially, I mean, when you trade someone who is called the Ted Williams of our generation, someone who is one of the best players in baseball, only 23 years old, and has two years before free agency. And when we traded him, everyone kind of lost our minds, including myself. But when you look at that hall of prospects, man, oh, man. Yeah. Talk about a complete flush through the
0: prospects. Tell me about it. Yeah, it's okay. It we talked about for a long time about what is this hall going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Because you haven't seen a, a player of this talent and Juan Soto traded with this many years of team control in a long time. And so, if I'm looking at your top five prospects right now, you know James Wood, Robert Hassel, those are one and two, and they came. Out of this, uh, you know, Mackenzie Gore no longer prospect eligible. C.J. Abrams no longer prospect eligible. But like you got four, they they were top five talents before they they lost their prospect eligibility. Mm-hmm. And so it was the it was in essence four top five prospects for a guy. And of the the group of four, I think I'm most excited about James Wood. And it it to me, it's a scenario. Where he's got the combination of power and a hit tool. Something my listeners know a lot about is your power tool is only as good as your hit tool. It doesn't matter how far you can hit it if you can't make contact. And seeing what James Wood did uh, when he got like, both in low A with the Padres and then when he got to Fredericksburg makes me feel good about the development curve for him and what he could be at the big league level.
1: And that's totally right. And a lot of people are talking about that as well. You know, James Wood is not like some really widely known prospect in the baseball world. He wasn't a first round pick. He's still a young guy, someone who's only played in two seasons so far after being drafted in the second round of 2021's draft. But then again, once you look at his numbers and the people who really follow MLB prospects like yourself, this is someone who. You knew right away and you knew that the potential for him was sky high. He just needed to tweak some of his hit tools, tweak his bad angle, whatever it may be. And San Diego did exactly just that. So I can tell you just from following this team and from following prospects that Nationals fans in this area have now recognized that James Wood is the most valuable prospect that we have in
0: our system. Like, I don't think that's too crazy to say either. right now I have him as the number one prospect. And I think the big Mm -hmm. thing and probably a, a, there's probably a fruit basket that should go to the Yankees and to Aaron judge for this, but you've kind of seen now what the development curve looks like for a six, seven player. Uh, That's, that's historically been somebody who is too big for baseball. And obviously his foot, his, his father, Kenny Wood played college basketball and, and everything. And he played basketball as well, but Aaron Judge has shown that you can be, a, a ma- like, just a humongous human being, yeah. and yeah. still play baseball, provided you make the right adjustments. And so, a lot of the adjustments he had to make were mechanical because of the long levers. Right? He widened the stance. You know, changed himself about not only his approach to the plate. You know, being being less aggressive early in the count and things like that, but then also mechanically kind of cleans some stuff up so that he could still come back around and make contact on a fastball up and in. It's in the high 90s. And so given that he's made those changes and we saw how well they worked um, in Lake Elsinore with the Padres, I feel good about you know the, the upside of being a 30 to 35, maybe 40 home run hitter, depending on what MLB does with the balls, when he gets to the bigs <laughs> as a right fielder.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I resemble that as well with it and especially just looking at his frame and everything, it's like this guy's still only, what, 20 years old? Just turned 20 years old, I believe, this past summer. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, he's still got to grow into his body. Like, I remember this when Bryce Harper came up when he was 19 years old, and he was, like, kind of a – he wasn't skinny, but he wasn't what he was now. Even a year after that in 2013 when he came up and was 20 years old, and it was like, oh, my God, this guy hit the gym. His shoulders (laughs) are bigger. It's like – there's a lot of adjusting to be made, but mm-hmm. also I think about this, and this is a prospect from that hall that I think a lot of people are just kind of sleeping on in general. And that's another six, seven guy, Jarlin Susanna. I saw him down in Fredericksburg make his debut, and he, he had a 104 mile per hour fastball
0: as an 18 year old. Yeah. Oh my God. It's He put a lot of work in during the, the COVID shutdown, right? When he, when he went into that, he wasn't 6'6". He wasn't 235. And when he came back out of it, he's like, hey, that fastball that was 91, it's going 96 now. Yeah. So fantastic work. And I'd probably give the fastball a 70 grade right now, just based on the velocity. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's more so the velocity than the movement but the velocity is very good on it, obviously. Uh, it, I feel like there's still some work you could do. He throws it. He doesn't throw it enough up in the zone, and mm-hmm. that's been a place where we've seen major league hitters be susceptible to elite levels of velocity, and 103 is elite velocity. So throw it a little bit more up in the zone, and then the power slider that he has, it's probably average to above average right now. I think it can be plus. But the issue that I have is it blends a little bit too much with the curveball right now. Mm-hmm. And then it's more of a velocity thing than it is a movement. And I think if you can add some more break on the power slider, whether it's later, like mean, it doesn't matter. Just give it a little bit more movement combined with that high 80s velocity. That's not something you see a ton from major league pitchers, especially guys who are as young as he is. Uh, you've You've got the makings of two plus or better pitches. Um, you know, go, do a little bit of work with that changeup. It's got a good sink to it. It's got some yeah. good fading life to it. But just polish it a little bit. And you've got a, you know, a number two pitcher at his peak if everything breaks right. Just Because the fastball velocity is so fantastic. And the yeah, command is there.
1: Exactly. And especially like with the Nationals fans, when you look back in 2009, when we took Steven Strasburg number one overall, and everyone was like, oh, my God, this guy hits 100. We got this 18-year-old who's who's touched 104, and he's 18. So, like, Nats fans are definitely excited about him, but I also think a lot of people do just kind of sleep on his impact. But Mm -hmm. obviously, we got to talk about one of the other guys with being Robert Hassel, who in my mind, I think, or this is something to where I kind of juggle with back and forth. Being, I think of Robert Hassel as like the high ceiling or the high floor, low ceiling kind of guy, sort of similar to C.J. Abrams ish with that. But I think C.J. Abrams has a little bit of a lower floor mm-hmm. and a little bit of a higher ceiling. So
0: what are your kind of thoughts on that? So Robert Hassel really strikes me as one of those old school leadoff guys, right? Uh, Below average power above average speed, not the blazer that CJ Abrams is, but the speed is good enough. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. above it's solidly above average and it's his ceiling is ultimately going to be determined by where that power tool ends up. Uh, The bat to ball skills right now are very good. I mean, he was one of the best just pure hitters in his class and he's continued to be that same type of, I mean, for his age, for being 20 years old, it's very precocious, just, just very advanced with his approach, um, kind of like an on-base machine. I just, mm-hmm. again, I, I wonder where the power ceiling is going to end up, but he fits that old-school mold of, we get him lead off, he's going to he's gonna hit a line drive in the gap and be on second base, and then base hit behind him, he's scoring from second. Uh, stealing, I think he, he's shown pretty good instincts on the base paths. I'm not worried about him running into extra outs and Mm -hmm. things like that. So again, fits that model, but the ceiling's limited until like we can see where the power. If he can be a 20 home run guy, I think that he's a center fielder that can compete for All Star games. I think that's the ceiling. Oh yeah. The question is just where does the power end up? I mean, he hit. I think he hit maybe 11 last year in 120 games, which. Obviously, is not necessarily where you need to be, yeah. especially when he was one of the places he was was High A Fort Wayne, which is known as a bit of a hitter's park. So,
1: that is true. And honestly, I, I remember someone saying that as well. Uh, but with Robert Hassel, it's also just kind of a fascinating thing to where he had like a major dip off, really, once he got traded from the Padres into the Nationals. And with in DC, we talk a lot about kind of how Mike Rizzo and his staff have always been really behind analytically, and the obviously the San Diego Padres under A.J. Preller, I mean, they're kind of at the forefront of this, and they're, they've kind of been one of the organizations that really embrace it. And so people were blaming that to it, but also he had a haymate bone. Actually, I, I don't even think I pronounced that correctly, but he had a broken bone in his hand that he actually broke down on the Arizona Fall League. But, he just uh, played he, through it. Yeah, he just played through it the entire time. And uh, I didn't even really know that. I knew he had some sort of a hand issue at some point, but I never knew that this guy was dealing with a broken bone in his hand. Mm -hmm. So that's also like kind of a sign of relief
0: because you're like,
1: thank God. There's an explanation
0: for the the substandard performance when he got traded. And then part of that too. And I think a lot of the people in the prospect apparatus, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too. Mm -hmm. We kind of forget sometimes that like, these are still people and like he's 20 years old and he had to move across the country. Like it's a little bit of a, it's it, it's it's a bit of a change. And so I think sometimes we forget that too. And 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 so I kind of give him a pass for what he did. We can see the tools. He's going to have a chance to go back to that same level next year, try to show that he's better than the performance he gave. I'm confident he's going to do that. Yes. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. If we can just take a second here. Okay, you've got to try uh, some of Built's new reimagined flavors. Cookie dough topper coconut brownie bar and the coconut brownie topper like they've they've redone so many of these things if you haven't had a built bar before let's back up it's the best tasting protein bar ever built revolutionizes nutrition 100 percent real chocolate 17 grams of protein shockingly low in sugar and in calories like 130 and so very good for you very tasty but they've gone and they've worked on a lot of the flavors and changed them now. White chocolate peppermint granola. This is built take on the granola bar. We've seen them work on protein bars. We've seen them work on on marshmallows. This is their take on a granola bar. Uh, the cookie, the, the candy cane brownie puff. This is their holiday version of the marshmallow. It's like biting into a Christmas cloud. Okay, so you've got to. Absolutely try this. Uh, what's great is you can get a mixed box and try all five of these flavors. So, Built.com, use promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off your order. Again, you can get a mixed bar. You can get uh, just individual ones that you want to try. But these are the five new flavors. You've got to work on this. Built.com, promo code LOCKEDON15 to save 15% off. It's promo code LOCKEDON15 at built dot com. And now
1: I bring back in Lindsey Crosby, host of MLB Prospects, and this is a locked on MLB crossover. And this is something to where I feel like we're kind of the main characters here because I feel like the Nationals have a nice little prospect call and really a nice little farm system cooking up. But I think there's a lot to be said about what we don't have and what we haven't had throughout the years minus Juan Soto, and minus a few guys here and there. So a lot of talk around town about Mike Rizzo and his drafting abilities. But I first want to talk about this upcoming draft with some of the marquee guys. Obviously, there's Dylan Cruz from LSU. That's what a lot of people are talking about. Mm -hmm. There's Chase Dollander from Tennessee. There's plenty of guys. And with
0: the number two overall selection, there's different possibilities we could go with here. Yeah and knowing what I know of Mike Rizzo and the way that he's drafted in the last couple of years it very much screams conventional scouting over analytics mm-hmm. and not that not that there's necessarily an issue with that per se provided your scouting evaluations are correct but it screams Chase Dollander as the yeah. pick to me I mean when you watch so I was able to see Chase Dollander in person last year uh, this is okay. guy I live down here in Alabama, so I'm in the heart of the SEC. And are. the first pitcher, it I don't do comps, so this is not a compare. This is just trying to paint a picture of what he's what his arsenal is like. Mm-hmm. The pitcher that came to mind when I watched Chase Dullander was Jacob deGrom. Sign me the up. Kind of,
1: <laughs> the kind <laughs> of
0: upper 90s fastball plus to double plus slider. Power pitcher threw a changeup in there against a lefty, and it's it's something where he plays in a premier conference. He stepped up in the big moments and delivered, and it very much everything about his physical profile, his arsenal, and then the the circumstances behind uh, him in college screams Mike Rizzo. Like this is the guy you're going to take, and so if Dylan Cruz is the first overall pick, like we're projecting now. Granted, you have a full college season to go through. If he's the number one pick, Chase Dollinger, I feel like, is almost a lock. I would bet, I'd give money to bet online right now that Chase Dollinger <laughs> is the number two overall pick.
1: Exactly, and you know that's literally what we were talking about today amongst some of my friends. We were like, we know what Mike Rizzo wants. He wants a right-handed pitcher that can throw some heat, has a solid changeup, and has some solid breaking pitches. Obviously, that's what everyone wants, but Mike Rizzo, over the years, that's Kate, to... Kate Cavalli,
0: Kate Jackson Rutledge, Mason. just the same thing. Yep. that is Gamed what Eric Fetty, yeah, Jake Eric. Johansson. I mean, that is what he's <laughs> taking in the first round. If you have a big righty with some breaking stuff and some velo, sign him up. That's what yeah. he wants, and good or bad, he's gonna take it. And I think in this case, based on there's a good selection, um. There's an argument to make for Rhett Lowder just to kind of balance it out as well as get somebody who has had some of the development already done. Wake Forest is very, very good Mm -hmm. with their pitching lab at developing their pitchers and having them be more complete products when they get to MLB already. So there is something to be said for, do you look at a Rhett Lowder from Wake Forest? But it feels like it's going to be pitcher here, definitely. And it feels like it's going to be one of those two guys.
1: Yeah, exactly. And especially because it's like, you know, the Nationals rotation, now we're going to be taking it to the major leagues a little bit. But right now, I mean, you got Cade Cabal, you got Mackenzie Gore, you have Josiah Gray. Those are three guys, but also none of those guys have proven themselves in the major leagues. And in fact, I think Mackenzie Gore, out of all of them, has proven himself more than anyone. And I say that because he had that solid first seven games pitching this past year with the Padres. And he was pretty solid. Cage volley only started one game. He got rocked. But okay. then again, first game, no one's going to be making, jumping to conclusions with that. But even then, like, it's also kind of a weird thing because I was trying to think about a position that he would want to target. And obviously this pick screams a starting pitcher, in particular, a righty with Donder. I could see that happening any day. But even then, like, I could also see taking another shortstop and just seeing what we do with them because, you know, shortstops, as you know, they're the usually the best athletes on the field. They can kind of, you know, it's going to take a learning period, but you can move them over to second. You can move them to left field center field, and they'll usually find their ways around that and work their way through it.
0: For the most part, if there's a right-handed position player, on the field outside of catcher, he probably started off as a shortstop. And yep. so if you're looking at catchers, a couple different options, Jacob Gonzalez is very much like a, one of the safer bets, a high floor, uh, de- like defensive shortstop above average arm. The glove is good. I like what he does. Six two two hundred. there's a little concern this year about how much physical development is left in there. And if he continues to develop you, he, he may have to move to third base, but for the most part, um, you know, very good line drive stroke. He's got good power to the pull side. Mm-hmm. I want to see that develop a little bit more this SEC season. Uh, being in the ballpark that he's in there at Ole Miss doesn't necessarily hurt. It's pretty yeah. good as far as pulling the ball like that, but uh, high floor there. And then you've got a guy like Jacob Wilson from Grand Canyon, a smaller school, Struck out seven times in 2022 in 275 plate appearances. Instinct. So he's one of another one of those lower ceiling guys. Cause there's a question about the power potential, but like think about a Steven Kwan. you know, mm-hmm. as far as that type of bat, like low power, but high batting average high on base, low strikeouts. Would that be useful in your lineup? Because he's got elite instincts, uh, the makeup, the leadership's there. The defense is good and then he's almost never going to strike out. So multiple options depending on how you want to go if you're looking for a shortstop who could play anywhere on the diamond mm-hmm. and is going to give you above an above-average hit tool and get on base.
1: Yeah, seriously. And that, you know, like, I'm all for that, too. Like, I'm, I'm all for taking another, like, because a lot of people are like, well, we have Brady House, and it's like, well, Brady House isn't really going to be a big-league shortstop in my mind. In my mind, it's going to be C.J. Abrams' from here on out, I think he pans out and I hope to God we pay him. But, yeah, <laughs> because, yeah, we we got to hope that here in D.C. It's, a, it's not a given, unfortunately. But, like, so I think about it with Brady House, it's like I'm trying to project down to, like, 2025. Like, yeah. Brady House at third base, C.J. Abrams at shortstop. Second base, maybe it's Luis Garcia, but I don't really see him panning out to really be that guy. But, Then again, like, so I think there is no wrong route to go at number two overall, even if Dylan Cruz isn't there, he would be my pick, but Dollander or really whoever would be a perfectly fine selection in my mind. But who is something, who is someone that we're looking over in this draft? Maybe you have someone that could be a fast riser
0: because the draft is in July. So we got time. We got plenty of time. So uh, if you're looking for somebody who can play shortstop, who can give you the defense, but still has that power, Braden Taylor of TCU. Uh, He's played third base and shortstop in college. I saw him in the Cape Cod League a little bit, so a wood bat league. He's got a a shorter swing that's like whippy, but in a good way, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Can spray line drive to all field. Most of the power right now is pull side. But still, double-digit home runs in his freshman year and his sophomore year, Uh, 117 career games, 104 walks to 86 strikeouts. So he gives you that – he's got a a, a good floor because he's an above-average defender, Uh, versatility to play shorter third, but the power profile fits in better at a third base as well. He's got the the quick actions with his hands where he can move to second if you need that. And so then he becomes – a plus power producer at second because of the power combined with the defense gives you options all across the infield, uh, and then gives you a power threat that you maybe don't necessarily get with Wilson or Gonzalez, albeit with a little bit more risk than either one of those guys.
1: Yeah, and you know, because it's like I, I always, I think everyone does. I I just like to pin it on myself. I'm like, I love a good underdog. Like I like I would love to take someone at number two overall, and everyone would be like. Who
0: the heck is this guy? And it yeah. just turns out and he's some superstar. So I'm and always. And the big thing to remember for fans is that it doesn't necessarily matter. Like the big thing about picking number two is not getting the second best player in the draft, it's having the second largest pool for bonuses. Yes. Like look at last year where the Rangers take Kumar Rocker in the top five, he wasn't a top five talent. But they took him there. They saved money with the much bigger pool and then went around and got a first-round talent in Brock Porter in, I think, the fourth round. It's a scenario where, being at number two, you don't have to automatically gravitate to the second-best player in the draft. Now, if Dylan Cruz falls to two, take Dylan Cruz and just, like, don't look back. But it gives you so much flexibility with the bonus pool where you can go out and, and you can get a guy, like, first baseman Trey Morgan from LSU and be like, you're the best defensive first baseman in college baseball with a ton of raw tools. We're going to take you and develop your in-game power. Or you can go and you can get an Enrique Bradfield and say you're the fastest player in college baseball playing center field. We're going to get you and we're going to let you get in our lineup, bat lead off and get on base. It gives you flexibility to save some money and use it later. And I think that's the bigger part of picking number two overall. And that is true. That is very true. And also, I kind of want to talk about
1: with some of the other, because as I was getting into a little earlier, a lot of people have, including myself, have hammered Mike Rizzo over his drafting abilities. Because it's like you look at like the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Atlanta Braves, and the reason why these teams are still good, or actually, really in particular, the Dodgers, the reason why they're still good, everyone's like, oh, well, they spend the money, which they one thousand percent do. Not wrong. but also. They draft well, and they have they hit on their first-round picks, and they're always picking later in the draft. So I kind of want to get into that. But thank you for making Locked On Nationals your first listen today. For your second listen today, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard, behind the scenes with local experts and insights only. Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today. Available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your
0: podcasts. I want to take a second to encourage you to join the Locked on MLB Prospects Discord. The link is in the show notes below in the episode description on YouTube. But new community, we formed it in case something happens to Twitter. Just a great place for baseball fans to come together, talk about prospects, talk about free agency, cheer on their teams. You're going to love it. Check it out. And now I do
1: want to get into some of the flaws that Mike Rizzo has had. And obviously, like, or not obviously, honestly, This is a little above my pay grade because I've (laughs) tried to pin this together and kind of ask myself, like, is this a Mike Rizzo problem or is this a player development problem? How do I pinpoint that the Nationals truly haven't had a successful first round pick since Lucas Giolito in 2012 and we obviously traded him? Cade Cavalli is still up in the air and Brady House as well, but take the floor.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to... I'm going to do half and half. I'm going to say part of it is Mike Rizzo and part of it's player development. And so the issue with Mike Rizzo when it comes to drafting, and if you're listening, Mike, call me. We will talk about this. I would love to have you on. <laughs> um, the issue is Mike, Rizzo, it feels from the outside, like Mike Rizzo falls in love with the conventional scouting look. And by that, I mean, take a Kate Cavalli. You look at Cade Cavalli on the mound at Oklahoma, you watch him in the college World Series, he's 6'4", 226. He looks the part. He's got oh. a big fastball. He's got that hammer curveball. He looks like a big league pitcher. Now, when you actually go and you look you're like, okay, he's had a history of some of some injuries. He's had some like he's had to work To command some of these secondaries. The changeup is when I think about that he struggled to consistently command it. Uh, And then he hasn't found the right balance of how to attack hitters. And so Mike Rizzo becomes enamored with these players that have very loud and obvious tools and Mm -hmm. conventionally look like baseball players. And that's fine if your player development department is properly set up and trained to find those weaknesses and mitigate them. And I feel like that's the other flaw, is when you do the conventional scouting and you do it just based off of what they look like, how impressive the pitch is when you meet them in person and things like that, you lose some of the nuance and it takes you a long time to figure out what do we have to fix and how can we fix it. I mean, there's no reason Cade Cavalli should have taken that long to get to the big leagues and then get one start yeah. you know? uh, it, it, coming out of Oklahoma. He was considered to be a, a very good pitcher. The fastball was exactly as advertised. The secondary pitches looked really good. You know, he was good to go for spring training, having a full year, but he got overworked a bit. He, he, he wasn't properly conditioned. And that comes back to a player development thing. And he had a shoulder inflammation. They had to shut him down. And so, kind of half and half. You can stick with Mike Rizzo's approach to picking players if your player development department is properly equipped to get them ready for the big leagues and teach them how to be a big leaguer. And I feel like you haven't had both parts working in concert yet. Yeah, and that's a great point. Because also, last
1: week, it was uh, news that the Nationals will be hiring 18 new analytical Sabermetrics guys into their organization, and I'm bought in fully on analytics because if you oh, look yeah. at the best teams right now, they're all into analytics. They all prey on it, and obviously, it's not everything. <clears throat> but these analytics are giving you facts about players. They're giving you their spin rates, where where uh, certain guys should be lined up when a certain hitter is going into a certain pitcher. All these things are here for you, and the Nationals have always kind of been behind in that. So that's kind of <clears throat> Where players get, or where fans get, really, that's where they kind of lose Mike Rizzo a little bit, to where they're like, well, we're we're still late to the party, nonetheless, when it comes to this. So I think fans are annoyed by that, and including myself, as I've said, I'm bought in on analytics. I want my team to be all in on it. So that part is a little frustrating in itself, but kind of what are your thoughts on all that with analytics and
0: how that goes into developing these big time prospects i want mike rizzo and these new analytics folks i want them to blend what the organization does well as far as position players and as far as pitchers and development i want them to blend that with their mlb draft evaluations here's an example and it's in division so i know some fans are not going to like it (laughs) look at the atlanta braves What did the Atlanta Braves do last year in the draft? They drafted a ton of pitchers because what are the Atlanta Braves very good at doing? Developing pitchers. They've said, you know what? We are good at this. We're going to double down and triple down on drafting pitchers with these specific traits because we know we can turn them into big leaguers. And if we need to go out and get a position player, we can trade a pitcher to do it. And so what I want to see the Nationals do is a little bit of self introspection and look at okay here are the guys that have been successful in our organization you know the steven strasburgs the bryce harpers the guys that that have made it the big leagues and have been very good ball players what did we do to make them better than when we got them we're obviously good at those things let's make a draft model that can identify those same traits in college players and in prep players so that we can draft to our strengths as an organization and avoid our weaknesses as an organization. That's what I'm looking for. And every, every year you get another team or two that started doing that. The Rockies did it last year. They had the best draft they've had in a long time because they realized we can't go find the guys that have the big loopy curveballs because those don't work at altitude. Yeah. We got to focus on like power sliders and things like that. And they had the best draft they've had in years. That's what I want the nationals to do is say, here's what we're good at. Let's go for this.
1: Yeah. And that's also a thing. Like, I, I just, it's hard to like imagine because obviously Mike Grizzo is a very well respected executive in baseball. And like we all here in DC, I am grateful to have him as yeah. our president and baseball ops. Like I was talking to our guy Jeff Carr the other day about this. And like, you know, like I was all sad and mopey about the Nationals and Trey Turner being signed with the Phillies and seeing all these guys that we've developed go to the Phillies, go somewhere else. And it just sucks. It really does. But then also it's like I truly believe that if the Nationals were to identify what they need and what they need a draft for and what they're looking for in international signees, like what you were pointing out, I truly think that the Nationals wouldn't be going through this rebuild. I don't think you necessarily have to spend all the money in the world to stay competitive. If you can stay in your lane and draft well, then I think you will have enough talent that you can either make trades for major league ready guys or really just do whatever you want when it comes to that.
0: And there are some indications that they've started to get better at that. Look at the sign of Christian Vaquero, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of look at him. It's like, okay, He's a left hand. He was natural lefty. He learned to bat righty so he can be a switch hitter, but he's got to improve at it. Uh, He needs to elevate the ball more, right? And then defensively, there's a little bit of questions there about where he's going to end up if the speed backs up. Reminds me a lot of some of the conversations behind Juan Soto when he originally signed. I'm not saying Christian Vaccaro is the next Juan Soto, but it, it really feels like the identification of this is what he does. We can fix the swing. We can optimize the swing for launch angle. He's got the exit velocity. We can work on the switch hitting and improving from the right-hand side. And so it's a little bit more of what I was looking for of finding the traits that we can improve and staying away from the weaknesses. So that's a positive sign that they're starting to kind of fix it. Let's see what it looks like when we get to the draft in July. Exactly. And that's really all what it
1: comes down to because right now I'm all in on the rebuild. I need to see our prospects just to be flourished. I need them to be developed and I need them to be catered to what the team wants them to be. Hey, Lindsay, this is a ton of fun today. I know we're already a little past our time, but one last question. This is how I always end our things. And maybe you can steal this from me. What's for dinner tonight or what was for dinner tonight?
0: I actually had, believe it or not, an uh, egg salad sandwich. Oh. I'm a... <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, not not conventional. We were cleaning out the fridge. Grocery day is tomorrow. And I said, you know what? Let's take this Duke's mayonnaise. I got some leftover onion, egg salad sandwich. Let's go. All right. Hey, I a like un- A little unconventional.
1: A little unconventional. I like that. I bet uh, there's some minor leaguers out there who probably have egg salad sandwiches a lot. And they're probably like, hey, we're cleaning this out. So Also,
0: Bourbon. That was the other part of it. There we go.
1: Nice. <laughs> all right. Well, Lindsay, where can everyone find
0: you and uh, tell us about where we can all find MLB prospects. I'm on Twitter at Crosby baseball. My show locked on MLB prospects is available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. You can find us on Twitter at locked on farm and you can send us your questions. We have mailbags every Monday locked on MLB prospects at gmail.com. Perfect.
1: All right. Well, that'll do it for us today. I'm Ryan Clary with Locked On Nationals, and he's Lindsey Crosby with Locked On MLB Prospects, and we will see you guys down the road. Go Nationals.
0: You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.